This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Philippians chapter number two, uh, our series entitled Magnify Jesus. We've just been going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians 2 is such a rich, uh, rich passage of scripture. Man, it's been a blast uh, to, to read through. And so I hope you've been encouraged by that. Uh, again, if we take a look uh, going through uh, the uh, Philippians chapter number two, we'll start in verse number five today and read through verse number 11. And, and we're making progress, folks, because next week we're going to take a look at uh, another uh, message from this same passage. But after that, we're actually moving on to verse 12. Can you believe that? We're just like, we're cruising, right? Uh, here's the thing. I don't want to gloss over anything. I don't want to leave any stone unturned, and there's so much meat. Uh, I don't want to leave anything on the bone in this, and so there's so much good stuff, uh, and so we'll take a look at that today, uh, how Jesus Christ is exalted. I've entitled today's message, No More Humiliation, Only Exaltation. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father." There's no greater story in all of human history where someone is taken from such heights and brought low to such depths only to be restored back to the highest level again. Uh, any type of, of book that we could read, story that we could tell, or documentary that we could watch, or, or movie that we could be a part of, that sees somebody go from, from top down to the, the bottom, back up again, could never possibly compare to the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God, and the Bible tells us he was in the form of God, and he humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a slave, a form of a servant, became a man, and the Bible says that he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, to suffer one of the most humiliating deaths and executions that one could ever possibly have, only to go back to the same status that he was before of being God. And, that, and Philippians 2 is so beautiful because it walks us through that, that Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and took upon the form of a man and humbled himself and took upon the form of a servant and became obedient even to the death of the cross. But then verse number 9 says, Wherefore, for this reason, God hath highly exalted him. Man, amazing, amazing story. But here's the thing. This is not just some cute story that we tell our kids uh, it's not just some really neat documentary that we saw that everybody's got to see this documentary. This is something that is ridiculously personal to every single person on human earth. Every person in all of human civilization and history, this story makes a difference for you. This is not just some weird disconnected story that we're not a part of. This is a story that deeply involves every single one of us. And we're involved in this story. We have stake in this story and the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ took upon the form of He humbled himself and became obedient unto the death of the cross. Why? 
to redeem us from our sin. And that's where this gets really, really personal. Because you and I were born into this world, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, that we were enemies of God. You and I weren't just uh, uh, kind of outside of God's family for a little bit. Some people would errantly think that we're all part of God's family by being born into this. We're all God's creations and we're one big happy family. The Bible says we're not. The Bible says that we were born as enemies of God. The Bible says that we were born the children of wrath, the children of disobedience. Uh, Jesus goes so far as to tell some uh, group of sinners that they are of their father, the devil. So the idea that we're born into this big, huge family called God just isn't the case at all. We're actually born outside of that, enemies of God. Now, here's the problem. The Bible says that when we're born into this world, we're all born as sinners. We all have a, a condition that ails us, and it's called sin. And because of our sin, the Bible says we couldn't stop sinning if we wanted to. It's part of our nature. It's woven into our DNA. That because of our sin, we have created a distance between us and God. Now we owe God something. And there's only one way that we can make it right. The Bible says that the wages of sin, what we've earned as a result of our sin, what we have to pay on our tab to settle up with God, the Bible says, is death. That's pretty intense because not only do we have to physically die, but the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That every single one of us will one day stand before God, and we'll have to give an account of our life. And please understand the day that you stand before God, he's not going to want to hear how good of a person you are, or what good things that you did with your life, or how religious you were, or how often you attended church. He's not really concerned in any of that. He's going to ask the question, has your debt been paid? Death. And if the answer to that is no, then you are fully responsible for paying God what you owe him. And you will endure God's wrath and judgment for all of eternity. God has created a place for that wrath, judgment, and punishment, and it's called hell. And it burns with real fire. There's no second chances. There's no getting out over and done with. That's the only way that you yourself can make things right with God. That's the worst news that anybody could possibly get. That you will die. You will be judged for your sin. But here's the good news. In John 3, 16. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says it this way, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, you deserve to die. I deserve to die. We've sinned against God something, but the good news is Jesus came and paid the price for us. Jesus died in our place because of God's love for us. You see, I was supposed to die, Jesus died instead. I was supposed to be punished for my sin, but Jesus was punished for my sin instead. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God, but Jesus endured the wrath of God in my place. So the Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us, you and I, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We sometimes refer to this as the substitutionary atonement. I was supposed to pay to make things right with God, but Jesus paid on my behalf. But here's the, the critical part. And if you hear nothing else today, please hear this. You have to make a decision for yourself. This is not a blanket forgiveness that's given to the whole world. This is not something that, that I can give you. 
this is something that you must receive for yourself. I couldn't pray anyone into heaven if I wanted to. You couldn't be baptized enough to go to heaven if you wanted to. You couldn't do enough religious works or come to church enough to go to heaven if you wanted to. It doesn't work that way. There's only one way to get to heaven, one way to make things right with God. It's to be saved or born again. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, he's talking to Nicodemus, who's a really, really religious guy. Or Nicodemus thinks he's got it figured out because he knows a lot about religion. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Can I get in my mother's womb again as an old man to be born a second time? And Jesus says, no, no, no. You were born physically the first time. The second time you need to be born again spiritually. And so friend, if there's never been a time in your life where you've been born again, where you've been saved, you are still in your sin. You are still responsible for your own eternal destiny. And when you stand before God, there's nothing coming your way but wrath and judgment. John tells us at the end of John chapter three, he who hath the son hath eternal life. He who hath not the son hath not eternal life and the wrath of God abides on him. Really black and white. It's binary. It's on or it's off. It's black, it's white. No two ways about it. Eternal life or you don't have the son and you have God's wrath and judgment. So how do you get the son? Faith and repentance, that's it. To be born again, you don't have to, to come to a class. You don't have to join our church. You don't have to be a Baptist. You don't have to uh, be baptized. You don't have to go through a catechism. You don't have to uh, do any religious works. You have to do this. You must believe in your heart. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he has paid for my sins on the cross. And I'm asking him to forgive me of my sin. Really, really simple. But you have to believe it by faith. If there's never been a time in your life where you've been born again, today is your day. Today is your opportunity to be born again, to be saved. That's the most important thing in the entire world. Now, Jesus, when he was born into this world, was born as a man. He was a slave. He was subservient to his father. If you're not, I highly recommend that you do. Jot down a few thoughts this morning. First of all, Jesus exhibited a life of humility, and he also endured humiliation. By being born as a man and being taken on uh, skin and bone to become one of us and to walk in our shoes, if you will, Jesus was willing to, first of all, humble himself. Wherever he went, he was seeing how he could help other people. He says, hey, I didn't come into this world so that people would take care of me. I came to take care of other people. I didn't come for people to serve me. I came to serve other people. And Jesus lived a life of humility Nowhere did he went, did he say, hey, guy, God's here. Bow down, worship me. Hey, guys, I'm worthy of your worship. No point did Jesus come, you need to obey me because I am God. Never, not once. He was humble. He preached truth. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the son of God. But never did he puff himself up. Never did he throw his title around. Nowhere did he ask for submission. He sh showed that he was submitted to his father. He was subservient to his father's master. He says, just as I am a slave to my father, so you should be as well, because his slave is not higher than his master. Jesus was willing to be subservient to his heavenly father. Not only that, he endured humiliation. We took a look at this last week, how the crucifixion was one of the worst ways to die. Publicly humiliated, publicly executed, spat upon, reviled, blasphemed, his beard plucked out, 
beaten within a half inch of his life. He endured all of that for one reason and one reason only, to save us from our sin. Because without the shedding of blood, the Bible tells us, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus willingly went to the cross, willingly submitted to that type of death for the purpose of saving us. Matthew chapter 20, at the cross, verse number 41, likewise also the chief priest mocking him with scribes and elders said, he saved others himself, he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Hey, if you're who you claim you are, save yourself. <laughs> hey, look everybody, he says he can save everybody, but he can't even save him his own self. Oh, here he is, son of God, they even made a platform and put up, up on it above his head and said, Hail, King of the Jews, as mockery to Jesus Christ. And as he hung there on that cross, he uttered the words, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. Three English words that basically purchased our redemption. When Jesus says, I am, it is finished, that those words were so incredibly rich because it meant a couple of different things. First of all, it meant that the payment for our sin was complete. There would, from that point forward, be no further sacrifice necessary because the sacrifice had been made once and for all. It also meant that God had seen that payment and that payment was satisfactory. Jesus had become, Bible word for you, the propitiation, satisfactory payment, the halisterion, the covering for our sins. Jesus became in that moment when he said, it is finished. When Jesus says it is finished, Jesus said earlier that I didn't come to destroy the law, but to actually fulfill it. And so when Jesus says it is finished, this was showing that this was a completion of the Old Testament law. And Jesus kind of put a check mark beside the law and says, that's over and done with. And then we pass from an old covenant, the covenant of law, and we pass into the new covenant, which will be a, a covenant of grace under Jesus Christ. The new covenant now would open up the opportunity for Gentiles, those of us that are not uh, historically and ethnically Jewish, to be able to be brought in and adopted into the family of God by those words, it is finished. But please understand that marked a turning point in Jesus Christ's life as well. You see, Jesus' period of humiliation was complete upon his death. Once he had made a satisfactory payment for our sin, once the work of redemption was done, once our salvation had been purchased, Jesus was done being the Lamb of God. Jesus was done with the mockery, the blasphemy, the humiliation. Jesus was done being meek and quiet. And as Isaiah says, as a lamb before its shearers is dumb and open not his mouth, Jesus was done with that because when he rose again the third day, he rose again victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And the Bible tells us that in verse number nine, that God the Father has now exalted him. He's no longer cast low. He's no longer in a place of humiliation. He's no longer in a place of subservient, subservient service to his master, he now is exalted. Hebrews chapter one, verse number three says it this way, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all the things by the word of his power, when he hath purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And once Jesus Christ had completed that work, 
He rose again from the grave of his own power. He lived 40 days on this earth and he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's coming back one day. And let me just tell you this, when Jesus Christ comes back, it will not be the same way he came the first time. When Jesus comes to receive us, what we sometimes, uh, sometimes people errantly will call the rapture the second coming of Christ. Second coming of Christ is when Christ comes literally to this earth, puts his feet down in Jerusalem, and begins his millennial 1,000 year reign on this earth. That's the second coming of Christ. And when that day comes, friend, he will not be the meek, quiet, submissive Lamb of God. That role has already been fulfilled, it is finished. When he comes back, he will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Bible says that when he opens his mouth, he will slay them with his words. And his, his enemies, it will be a mass ex- execution of his enemies to the point where blood will run through the streets up to the bridle of the horse's mouths. Jesus Christ is coming back and he will not be humiliated this time. He will not be blasphemed this time. He will not be made a mockery of this time. He is coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords this time. His period of humiliation, that's over and done with. He's moving forward and now he is the high, exalted Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords. Totally different story now. And you see, Jesus didn't just take this position on his own. We find in this passage and multiple other passages throughout Scripture that Jesus is exalted by the Father. Again, verse number nine here, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. Uh, The word in the Greek that's used there could actually be translated to say super exalted. You think of like God has exalted, but he has super exalted Jesus Christ. Like there is exalted and there's like next level exalted. This word here, highly exalted, means next level exaltation. Like as high as it could possibly get. That's where the Father has placed him. And again, as we look through this passage, we're not going to rehash the deity of Christ. We did that uh, probably three or four weeks ago. We talked a whole entire message about why Jesus Christ is God. Not he was God for a minute and he no longer is, but like he is God and always will be God. False religions and cults would say that Jesus Christ is not God or Jesus Christ is a lesser God. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses would say that Jesus is a God, but he's not the God. He's a lesser God. That's interesting because God the Father has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. So that's not a lesser God. That's as high as God could possibly get. The word exalted means to be placed at a higher powerful level or held in high regard. And when we think of Jesus Christ being super exalted by the Father, he's placed in a unique position that no one else can hold. Keep your finger here in Philippians uh, chapter 2. We're going to come back in a second. But flip over to the book of Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews, t- Hebrews, Hebrews 1. Let's do that. <laughs> Again, as the author of Hebrews, many folks will believe this to be uh, Paul. Uh, it's a little bit different than Paul's writing because it doesn't start off by saying Paul, servant of Jesus Christ. It just goes straight into to the meat, meat and potatoes, right, from the very beginning. The writing style is very similar to, to Paul's writing. Uh, he references Timothy in there, who is one of his right-hand men. And so many Bible scholars, and I don't consider myself necessarily a Bible scholar. Uh, I'm a Bible guy, but not, maybe not a scholar. But uh, I would probably agree with Bible scholars, and they say that Paul was probably the author of Hebrews, although we can't say with certainty. We know this, God is the author of Hebrews for sure. But it was written to Jews to basically show them, hey, look, Jesus Christ is 
the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ fulfills all of these roles that we find in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. And, and if we take a look at verse number one, again, the author of Hebrews, whether it be Paul or anybody else, we know it was the Holy Spirit eventually. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in past times unto the Father by the prophets. Hey, back in the day, God used godly men and God used the prophets to tell us what he had to say. But I love verse number two. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the world. Isn't it interesting that God chooses to speak to us through his son Jesus? And again, verse number two tells us this, that he him the heir of all things. Everything belongs to Jesus. And then, get this, the Holy Spirit takes it one step further and says it this way, and by him he created the world's. Think about this for a second. Most kids in Sunday school, if you grew up in church, you probably had to memorize Genesis 1-1, first verse in the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And so we automatically, in our minds, especially me as a kid, I'm thinking to myself, God spoke everything into existence, and he did. But please understand, the God that spoke those things into existence was God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so here we see this is crazy, okay? Just listen to me. God has given Jesus Christ the authority, the ability, the opportunity to speak everything into existence because Jesus Christ is exalted by the Father, even in creation. At the beginning of time, in Genesis 1-1, God the Father is setting God the Son up in a high, exalted position. It's just like, wow, this is big. And again, this is why uh, it chaps my hide when people say, well, Jesus never really came on the scene until Bethlehem. Bro, read your Bible. Bethlehem was the incarnation. Jesus Christ has no beginning and he has no end because he is eternal God. Look, it's all point. And so God the Father, even in creation, exalted God the Son. But it doesn't stop there. This, Hebrews 1 is incredible. Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the power which he, which he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, will be unto him a father and he shall be unto me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, and he saith unto him, let all the angels of God worship him. Verse number six is really critical because God the Father is telling all the angels of heaven to worship God the Son. The angels, and of the angels, he saith, he maketh the angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, God the Father saith unto the Son, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. God the Father is calling God the Son, God, and saying, thy throne, thy scepter is, is proof of the fact that you are king of thy kingdom. First number nine, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. God the Father 
has anointed God the Son with oil. And if you know anything about the Bible, the anointing of oil means a special, unique place that only one person can hold. They anointed kings, they anointed prophets because there was one person that could fulfill that role. And God the Father has anointed God the Son to a unique position and exalted him. Verse number 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are work of thine hands. God the Father is saying, God the Son, Lord, you have laid the foundations of the world. All of creation is the work of your hands, Son. And so we see the exaltation of the Father exalting Jesus Christ in this unique role. Verse number 11, Thou shalt perish without remainest, and all shall wax old as doth the garment, as the vestures, thou shalt fold them up, and shall be changed. But not, thou art the same, and thy years fail not. Hey, people change their clothes every day, but Jesus Christ never changes. Oh, man, it just gets richer and richer the more that you read. And here's the thing. If you never read the book of Hebrews, do yourself a favor this week and read it. It'll, like, blow your mind. Like, pack an extra pair of socks because it's going to blow your socks off. Like, really? It's like that good. Because as you, as you dig through this, you find that Jesus Christ endured all the things that we endured. He walked the same roads that we walked. He did the same things that we did, yet was without sin. We see later that he became a high priest for us so that we can have uh, access to the Father. You find that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need because the Son has done for us. And we see that Jesus Christ is exalted by the Father. We see also that Jesus Christ was exalted in his resurrection. His re resurrection was proof positive of the fact that he was God. His resurrection was proof positive that he no longer was the lamb led to the slaughter. His resurrection was proof positive that he would be no more humiliated, no more blasphemed. He rose again the third day victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And the Bible says he lives forevermore. Amen. You know why? Because he is exalted. His resurrection was proof of that. You see, every other major world religion leader died and sometimes people will worship their graves or pray towards their graves and things like that hey look if you've ever gone to israel i haven't yet but i'm, I'm looking forward to it one day if you ever go to israel they take you to on a tour of a tour of a tomb that they think was jesus's they're not really sure the only thing that they know is surprise it's empty that's it we think this was his we're not really sure. It was in the same region, in the same area. Historical reasons, we believe that this was probably the tomb, but we're not really sure. But the fact of the matter is, it's empty anyways. And here's the thing. Does it really matter? I could dig a hole in the ground and say that it was the tomb of Jesus. It didn't matter. He was there less than 72 hours. He's risen. Every other world leader died, was buried in the ground, and then suffered God's judgment. There was one person who died, was buried, and then came out of a, on his own power. And that was Jesus Christ. And that just goes to show he is no longer humble. He is no longer humiliated. He is exalted in his resurrection. Peter, as he preached on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse number 31, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. God raised up whereof, or being in the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth which ye now see and hear. Peter says, you tried to kill Jesus, you tried to put him to death, but he 
rose again of the third day and is now exalted at the right hand of the Father. First Peter chapter three, verse number, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Romans chapter one, verse number four. Paul says, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That's why each Sunday for us is gonna be, it's gonna be big, folks, big. You know why? Because resurrection was proof positive that Jesus was who he says that he was. He says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down so that I can pull it up again. I'll destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Jesus prophesied exactly how he would die and how he would be resurrected. But here's what, what Paul goes on to say. Paul says, if Christ be not risen, we're still in our sins. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave and he is not exalted and Jesus died and is still dead, let me tell you, friends, we're toast. Toast. Because we're still in our sins. And if we're still in our sins, we need another Savior. But because Jesus Christ is risen, because he's risen and exalted, we have a Savior who sits at the right hand of the Father who is waiting to bring us home to him. Acts chapter 5, verse number 31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 19. What is that exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his right hand in heavenly places. Jesus is exalted by the Father. Jesus is exalted in his resurrection. We also see that Jesus Christ is exalted in his authority. You see, it's unique in the fact that when Jesus came and, and preached of the coming kingdom, he challenged people to repent of their sin and to put their faith in God. Never once did Jesus Christ require of people direct, immediate obedience to him and what he said. You know why? Because Jesus was just speaking the things that his father told him to say. Jesus says, I'm not drawing people to myself, I'm drawing people to my Father. And Jesus says, I don't say anything, I don't do anything, except the Father tell me what to do, what to say. So again, in this case here, Jesus Christ, as a man, didn't require obedience, but now that Jesus Christ is exalted back to his rightful place, he expects 100% obedience and he has authority to ask that. Matthew chapter 28, he says this, verse number 18, right before he gives the great commission, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, all power. Jesus, in verse number seven in Philippians chapter two, made himself of no reputation, that Greek word uh, where we get our word kenosis means to empty himself. He laid aside the prerogative, laid aside certain attributes of his deity, but now he's taken all that back up again. And he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. First Peter chapter 3, verse number 22, who's gone into heaven is on the right hand of God. Angels and authority and powers being made subject to him. The angels in heaven automatically wait for the word of Jesus Christ before they act and move because he is in a position of authority. Not only in heaven, but also on earth as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 21 Far above all principality and power, might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. All things are under his feet. He's in charge of everything. He has full authority. He has full sovereignty. He's in charge because he has been exalted. 
no longer being willing to be the slave to someone else's master, no longer willing to be a humble servant who kept his head down and just did the work. Now he is exalted back to his rightful place and now he is in full authority. So not only is he exalted in his resurrection, he's exalted in authority, he's exalted as our high priest. If you remember back last week, we talked about how the Day of Atonement would come, Yom Kippur, and before the high priest could go in, he had to cleanse himself first, and so he'd take an offering of a bull, and he would kill it, and he would cleanse himself first before he could go into the temple and meet with God. Once he got into the temple, he would have two goats, and he would cast lots, and one goat would be put to death, and one goat would be sent out into the wilderness. The first goat would have its throat slit, and the blood sprinkled around the altar to cover the sins of the people. The next goat he would take by the horns and confess the sins of the people over it and then would send it out into the wilderness, never to be seen ever again. It was a picture of how our, the blood of Christ would cover our sins and how Jesus would take our sin and suffering from us. But there had to be a high priest there. There had to be a sacrifice that was made first. If somebody wanted to ask something from God, they couldn't go directly to God. They had to ask through an intermediary. If you remember Moses and the children of Israel, Moses had to sit there and listen to people's problems all day and talk to God about their problems. They had to have a go-between. They wanted to make a sacrifice. They had to go to Aaron and say, Aaron, I need to make a sacrifice for this sin that I've done. I have to make a sacrifice for him. They didn't have direct access to God. But Jesus Christ came again to fulfill, put a check mark beside the law, and now he has become our high priest. Here's the beautiful part about Jesus Christ. Before he made a sacrifice to God, he didn't have to cleanse anything. He's always been clean. He didn't have to make sacrifice for himself. That's how he could make sacrifice for our sins because he owed God nothing. He was the spotless lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. Romans chapter eight, verse number 34 says, Who's he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. That Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, that when we pray and ask anything of the Father, Jesus Christ makes it so. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And we can ask whatever we want to the Father, not because we are righteous or holy enough to come to God, but because we have a high priest who is our intermediary, our intercessor. I no longer have to go to a religious leader to pray. I can go directly to God to pray. I no longer have to tell somebody else what the message I want to get to God and wait on his response. I can go directly to God because I have a high priest in Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5, there's one God and one mediator between man and God, and that's the man Christ Jesus. I'm thankful that I don't have to pray to saints. I'm thankful that I don't have to pray to Mary. I'm thankful that I don't have to go into a, a, a phone booth and tell some other guy all the wrong things that I've done. I have a high priest in Jesus Christ that is ready and waiting to hear what I have to say. And if I have sin that I need to confess, oh, I love First John. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The idea that I can go in a room and tell another man what I've done and he can say, thy sins be forgiven thee, blasphemous. 
The idea that another man can say, your sins be forgiven you, repeat these five prayers and do these five good works and that will resolve your sin is not only blasphemous, it makes a mockery of the sacrifice that my Savior made on the cross by saying, you gotta add a little bit to that to really be forgiven. Friend, my high priest has already made a sacrifice once for all. Anything that I add to that automatically negates the sacrifice that's already been made. It would be like the children of Israel on the, the Day of Atonement where, where Aaron has taken and confessed the sins of the people over the escape goat and sends it out into the wilderness with the sins of the people upon it. And I go behind him and, sit and like take a cat and like throw it out there with it too. He's like, what are you doing? Well, that cat took whatever sin that Aaron forgot. Be like, That's the dumbest thing in the world. Well, I want to make really, really sure. Look, we, we don't have anything that we could possibly add to the sacrifice of Christ's blood. It's perfect. I don't need to do anything to come to God. I have a high priest who's there waiting for me to call on the name of the Father. Waiting. I'm thankful that, that I don't have anyone to have my, my prayers heard. Look, there are many things that we can do to hinder our prayer life. Lack of faith, asking with the wrong motives, sin in our life. All these things will hinder our prayer life. But friend, please understand, I, don't, I as a pastor have no more access to God than you have. None. You know why? Because the only thing between me and God is Jesus Christ, my high priest. The only thing between you and God is Jesus Christ, your high priest. We get the same access. No, I'm thankful this past week my daughter's been in the hospital. So many people, I mean, hundreds of people literally around the world have, have sent me text messages and emails and cards and notes saying, praying with you. I am thankful for that. But I don't think to myself, like, who's one guy that, like, if I could get him to pray for me would make all the difference? Hmm, what do you think? And you and I laugh at that, like, that's so funny. Friend, if people weren't so foolish... Trinity Broadcasting Network would not exist. TV preachers wouldn't exist. But they prey on people. P-R-E-Y, pray on people. Put your hand on the screen and feel the power of God coming through your computer screen. What? Send me $100 and I'll send you a prayer cloth that I kneeled on. What? And somebody, somebody one time brought me a prayer cloth that they gotten from a, a TV preacher. And it was an eight and a half, 11 sheet of paper that had been run off in a copy machine sideways with like artifacts on it. Like it was a copy of a copy of a copy. And the dude had to fold it up and put it in his back pocket. He's like, I carry this with me everywhere I go. Bro, shred it. Seriously. I'm thankful that there's nobody that has more access to God than I do. And I just need to make sure that I'm 100% right with God and he hears my prayers. And I know that he does. And the Bible promises the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And look, I can be that righteous man. You can be that righteous man, righteous woman, and God hears your prayers. <laughs> Interesting thing happens. It never ceases to amaze me the excitement that uh, one gets by being a pastor. Uh, there's a guy who uh, came by our church on a Sunday, probably, I don't know, six weeks or so ago. He came in, he flings the door open, he like starts looking back and forth like this, like he's looking for somebody. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Jump up and help you. He said, I'm looking for a pastor. I go, you found him. What can I do? 
He goes, I'll be right back. He goes to his, his, his truck and he goes, I got this. What is it? And he said, I bought my wife a rosary uh, from Italy. It's handmade by a woman in Italy and it's beautiful. He pulls it out. It's gorgeous, gorgeous. And he, I said, okay. He goes, I need you to bless it. I go, we don't do stuff like that here. He goes, what do you mean? I said, we're Christians. Uh, like, I wouldn't even know. First of all, what do you do with a rosary? I don't know. Second of all, how do you bless a rosary? I don't know. Uh, and I said, we're, we're Christians. We're not, we're not Catholics. And so I said, here's the difference. And I, I went through as quick. This dude was like on a mission. So I went as quick as I could through a 45-second presentation of Jesus' Christ's work on the cross and why we don't need rosaries and we don't need priests. And he said, okay, I get that. He, goes, he said, I, I, I'm a Christian. My wife's Catholic. And I said, okay. And he said, but could you just like, like, seriously, just bless this right quick. <laughs> like, dude, like, I, I, I wouldn't know where to start. I really wouldn't. And I said, honestly, your blessing on this would be just as good as mine if you're a Christian. And he goes, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. You're a pastor. I said, no, no, it, it, really. I don't have any special access to God that nobody else has. And I said, but I really don't know what to do with this. And he goes, well, what should I do with it? And I go, I don't think you want me to answer that question. <laughs> I really don't. Um, and I said, but here's the thing. If you want like something Catholic done to this, you need to take it to a Catholic priest. And he was like, oh man, I can't give it to my wife that hasn't been blessed. And I go, well, she found it was, I was blessed by a Baptist pastor. She'd be really mad, man. <laughs> and so, anyways, I told him, hey, come back to our church, you know, bring your wife with you. I'd love to have you to talk with you about what, everything we talked about, because it was really short, but I had to get the truth to the guy. But here's the thing. As he left, a couple of things came to my mind. First of all, people finding power in jewelry, a connection to God, it's idolatry. Second of all, I think to myself of the false hope that's found in false religion. And third, I thought about this, the idea that one person would have more access to God than another person, just crazy because we have one high priest. That's it. I don't have to pray two saints. I don't have to pray to Mary. I have to pray to God through the Son. Here's what Hebrews says. Oh, I love this. I love Hebrews. Again, I love Hebrews that you and I can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Do you know that in biblical times, if you were to walk in unannounced to the throne room of a king, you know what would happen to you? Definitely imprisonment, probably death. Because you weren't allowed to just go to a king and talk. There was a process that you had to go through. You weren't able to go in unannounced. You weren't able to go in without having to go through all the steps first. And when you got there, you didn't get the opportunity to talk. You got talked to. You kept your mouth shut, you kept your head down, you didn't look anybody in the eye, and when it was done, you went on your way. But you and I have access to the throne room of God that we can come boldly. That can come and say, hey, God, I, I need your attention, like, right now. Here's what I got going on, and I need you to fix it, like, now. And the Bible says that I can find help in time of need. How do I, how do I have access to the throne room of the king because I know somebody and his name is Jesus. Now, on my own, I don't have Jesus. What's going to happen? I'm going to be taken out of the throne room and I'm going to get what's coming to me, right? Which is what? Death. That's what I get because I don't have access to the throne room on my own. I need somebody to get me in. I got to know somebody. And once I know Jesus, I have access anytime, unlimited. And if you ask, 
Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, the Father will do it. You talk about a high priest. Anytime, anytime. We take a look at Jesus Christ's exaltation for the most part. Jesus' exaltation involved the restoration of what he had eternally possessed before his incarnation. That's a fancy way of saying Jesus Christ took back everything that he had to begin with. We see God the Son speaking the world into existence, reveling in the worship and the glory with the Father, with the Spirit, in eternity, forever, taking on the form of a man, being born to a couple of poor kids in a stable in Bethlehem, to be raised in the home of a carpenter, to be mocked, mistreated, blasphemed, sought to kill on multiple occasions, maligned, lied about, ultimately falsely imprisoned, ultimately beaten within a half inch of his life, accused of crimes which he did not commit, mocked, blasphemed, eventually mercilessly executed. And then what happens? It all flips back over. We went from as high as you can go, the lowest of the low, and then we go all the way right back up again, back to an exalted status of everything that he had before. Now he demands worship. Now he demands obedience. Now he demands respect. Now he has all authority. Now he is high, holy, lifted up, King of kings, Lord of lords. Let me just tell you, this past week in my life, somebody asked me this morning, they said, Pastor, how you been this week? I said, it's been a really, really intense week in the fact that we, if there's an ologist in the hospital, we've talked to him. I mean, cardiologist, hematologist, you know, everything under the sun, we've talked to him. Oncologists, I mean, everything. We, we've had meetings around the clock. And we're trying to figure out how all these pieces fit together and all this other stuff. And through all of that, uh, again, you know, my, my daughter has this strange blood condition uh, that's ultra rare that basically causes a blood clot in your jugular vein. Super dangerous, but they do a, a CAT scan, or I'm sorry, a, a ultrasound, no blood clot. So now we're going to go from a rare blood disease that causes blood clots to not having a blood clot. What does that mean? And then we start, <laughs> Google exploded, uh, things like that. And so so we had our infectious disease doctor has been doing this for five decades. She says she's had about 15 cases of this in 50 years. And, and she's never seen one without a blood clot. Strange. So then they do uh, a CT scan and they find out she does have a blood clot. Oh, great. So now we have a blood clot in her jugular vein uh, and it's starting to break up and it's creating these uh, uh, septic emboli, is what they call them, in her lungs, which basically are lesions in her lungs, where it breaks down and actually goes into her lungs. Uh, and so we got that happening now. It's just like, oh, my soul, what's going on? And so last Sunday, while I'm standing here preaching, my daughter's in the hospital with septic shock. And if you don't know anything about septic shock, it had like a 50% survival rate. Like her organs were shutting down. It was bad. And through all of that, isn't it crazy? We got this like peace. Like, meh. You know, I pray with my daughter every single day. I kiss her on the forehead. I tell her, Daddy loves you. God's got this. Don't sweat it. Everything's fine. And I think to myself, how do people make it when they don't have faith? I can't imagine sitting there watching my daughter who 
has serious medical issues and brought within inches of death and saying, sweetheart, I don't know how, but we're going to make it through this. Daddy will do whatever he has to do. We'll get the best doctors in the world. I'll call whoever I have to call. I'll throw as much money as I can at this. I'd be, I'd be willing to give my own life for you if I could, but, but we're going to figure this out. And I don't know how, but we will. I'd be grabbing those people by their white lab coats and holding them up against the wall. Like, you better tell me something. Like, I'm going to fix this. But here's the thing. You can't fix anything. But is God sovereign? The answer to that is yes. If so, that brings great peace to me. You know why? Because I have a high priest who's sitting right at the right hand of the Father that all I got to do is say, hey, God, I could use a little bit of help here today and help's on the way. I'm not sweating that. Because there's great peace in knowing the sovereignty of God. There's great peace in knowing the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Knowing the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus just says, make it happen and it's done. Like, this brings so much peace to every area of life. Trusting in the sovereignty and the authority of God. So, Every time we read a passage of scripture, we always need to ask ourselves questions that apply to us. So you look at this and you say, God has exalted Jesus Christ through his resurrection, through his authority, through the fact that he's high priest. What does that mean to me? Great question. Let me ask you this question. First of all, God the Father has exalted God the Son. Is Jesus exalted in my life? If God has exalted the Son, is Jesus exalted in my life? And by that I mean, is Jesus Christ lifted up to his rightful place? Or is Jesus like a lucky rabbit foot that I rub whenever I need a little bit of help? Is Jesus where I run when I get a little bit overwhelmed, but throughout throughout the day I think I got this? It's amazing for me to to hear people talk about their relationship with Jesus, and sometimes they'll, you know, you can describe somebody's life by the things that they're involved with. You know, like, oh, you know, I, I go to work, I hang out with friends, I go to the beach, I like to hike on the weekends. Um, uh, you know, I got, I've got Jesus in my life. You know, I go to the gym. Uh, I, uh, you know, watch TV shows that I enjoy and spend time with the kids. And I read every now and then and stuff like that. And Jesus kind of gets mixed in on all the stuff that we do. And when I say things like, hey, man, I missed you at church this week. He's like, oh, man, it was, it was a crazy week this week. Like, I didn't even make it to the gym. Wait, what? Did you just equate your relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to like, I didn't make it to the gym either? And for many people, Jesus is just one of the things that they do. And I didn't get really around to doing Jesus this week. And so because of that, I'll try to do better next week. That's not Jesus exalted. When Jesus is exalted, he's the center of everything. Like the way that I work is based on relationship with Jesus. The friends that I have is based on my relationship with Jesus. The hobbies I'm involved with is an opportunity for me to further exalt Jesus. And so when Jesus is the center of everything, when he is exalted, everything flows from that. And I want to live a life that further exalts Jesus Christ in my own life. But many times Jesus is relegated to a a spot on a shelf down somewhere. And again, I hate asking people, you know, what are your priorities in life? Because everybody's faith and family, those are my number one priorities. Bro, you haven't spoken to your kids in two weeks and you work 12 hours a day. Faith and family aren't your priorities, just say what they are. Work's a priority for you. 
so let's not say that Jesus is exalted when we really aren't exalting Jesus. Maybe we know that he should be exalted, but, but he's not. Let's fix that. Second question. Do other people see him lifted up in my life? Can other people observe my life and see that Jesus is a priority? Can they see him exalted in my life? My son Vanderlei uh, just turned 19 last week. He's a freshman in college right now. And this past week, he wanted to get into a big, big deep, theological, philosophical conversation at 12.15 at night. And it's just like, good grief. Which doesn't really change either, you know, because when he was like, like eight, you know, it's like, hey, buddy, it's time for bed. I'm thirsty. <laughs> okay, fine. And you bring him a glass of water. And he's just like, who's God's dad? And it's just like, oh, my goodness. And so, like, at bedtime, he always became a dehydrated theologian, you know? It's just like, dude, like, can we have these conversations like another time throughout the day? No, we can't. So, like, 12, 15, let's have this big, deep theological conversation, right, about life and stuff like that. And he and I were talking, and I said, we were talking about pride and how pride wants to draw people to ourselves. Look at me. And we want to draw attention to ourselves, whether that's uh, the way that we, we dress or the title that we have after our name or the type of car we drive or the neighborhood that we live in or the type of school that our kids go to or the type of school that we went to. And pride draws attention to me. Spend as much time drawing attention to Jesus as much as we spend time drawing attention to ourselves. Usually the answer to that is no. Because I'm greatly concerned with what people think of me, but I'm generally less concerned about what people think about Jesus. But it should be the flip. Like, frankly, at the end of the day, if you don't like me, I don't care. I just want you to love Jesus. If you think I'm a loser, frankly, it doesn't matter to me. I just want you to love Jesus. Do you not like the type of car that I drive? I don't care. I just want you to love Jesus. But many times it's flipped because Jesus isn't exalted in our lives. Can other people observe my life and see the fact that Jesus is exalted? Uh, the, the gym that I go to, I've been talking to the gym owner about coming to our church. He's, he came to our church one time in the five years that I've been inviting him, uh, but I'm still after him. Uh, but uh, there's a guy who came and visited our gym uh, and told the, our gym owner, he said, what brings you to Hawaii? He says, I'm on a spiritual journey. And he goes, oh, I got just a guy you got to talk to. And he came and got me. And he says, he says Anthony, you got to talk to this guy. I go, why? He said, He's on a spiritual journey, and I thought of you like, man, you could totally help this guy. But <laughs> my gym owner's not a Christian, <laughs> like, like at all, uh, and doesn't want to come to church, but he recognized if somebody's looking for something, I know the guy. And that for me, again, not a feather in my cap, praise God for that, that I want to have that type of life that everybody, even if you disagree with what the Bible says or the way that I live my life, you know that Jesus is exalted. No question about it. But I got to ask myself, is Jesus exalted or trying to exalt myself? Final question. Are there any idols in my life that are occupying his space? If my life has a throne, is Jesus Christ on it? Or is something else there? Well, of, of course Jesus is on it. No, not of course. We know that he should be. It's obvious that that's where he belongs. But is he currently? That's, the, that's a really good question. And maybe there's some sin that's currently on his throne that's become an idol to you. Maybe there's just apathy is your idol. Or you just, eh, whatever. 
Maybe the idol that's sitting on the throne of your heart is just self. Please. Jesus has already gone through enough humiliation. It's time for his exaltation. He doesn't need to be humiliated further by the way that you live your life. And please understand, when you and I live in habitual sin again and again and again with no concern for it, you're making a mockery of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and you're adding to further humiliation of his name and he's done with humiliation. Please understand that. He wants to be exalted. So again, please never get to the point where you're just like, ma, God knows my sin and he forgives it. What's the big deal? No, 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 no. It's exaltation time for the name of Jesus. The most important thing in the world, if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you have been saved or born again, if you're here today and you don't know for sure if you died today, heaven's your home, please do not hit those double doors in the back before you know for sure your sins are forgiven. It's not about becoming a Baptist. It's not about joining our church. We're not trying to baptize you or catechize you or take you through some lengthy class. I would love to have one of our men sit down with another guy, one of our ladies sit down with one of the ladies and take you about five to 10 minutes and show you the most important thing you'll ever see from the Bible about how you can know for sure when you die, heaven's your home. Because outside of that, None of this stuff even matters, really. It's all just details. But when Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, hey, everything changes. It's like a 180. Everything changes. But you, you can't even begin until you know for sure that you're saved or born again. For those of us that are Christians, it's exaltation time. No more humiliation. No more Jesus is just patient, waiting outside of the, the door of your heart, wringing his hands. Yeah, you know, the idea that, and again, I know well-meaning pastors sometimes say this, Jesus is just outside on the door of your heart saying, let me in, buddy, come on. Hey, look, he's about to kick the door down. Seriously. I deserve to be in. And I don't think he's going to sit and knock for too long. Jesus no longer is gentle Jesus. Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, and he's taking what he deserves. Understand it from that perspective. Here's the thing. If, 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 big if, if you are walking with Jesus the way that you should be, you should have a burning desire in the pits of your soul to give Jesus everything that he deserves. I want to live a life that, that honors my king. I want to be a subservient slave to my master. I want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful slave one day. I want that with everything fiber of my being, I want that. If if I'm not, I'm just like, ah, I got my ticket punched to heaven, I think I'm good. Hmm, no. Exaltation in my life. I want to magnify Jesus. Let's live that way this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.